What makes home actually home? What makes home truly home? Well, I would like to believe that all of us are on the same page in the way that we define home. It's more than just a roof over our head. More specifically, it's the presence of acceptance. It's a place to belong. So here in a few days, my wife and I and our almost 19-month-old son, Levi, are going to drive over three hours to the middle of nowhere, Indiana, northern Indiana, where it's all cornfields. Where I grew up, my parents still live in the same house. And I anticipate that moment where I turn the corner where there used to be a hog farm, and every time I smell a hog farm, I think of home, no matter where I am. And I start to anticipate that feeling that I get when I walk through those doors and see, I see mom and dad. And it's the house I grew up in, but what makes it a home is not the familiarity of the place, it's the sense of acceptance. It's the place where I belong because there's a connected relationship with my mom and my dad. Now, when I think of my dad specifically, I would, I would consider my dad a great dad, the reason why is not maybe why you would expect, and this might sound bad to talk about my dad this way, but you know he's still alive, he'll hear this message, and we've talked about this before. My dad is not great in the sense that he's remarkable or talented or competent or skilled in any specific way. There's no like wow factor, like wow, that's amazing dad that you can do this. And I would go so far as far to say, and my dad and I have talked about this, my dad's not even great in the sense that we're deeply emotionally connected where he's like a nurturing dad and he's kind of, you know, showed me, you know, how to do certain things over the years and that's bonded us. No, what makes my dad great is simply the fact that he's been there. He's displayed presence for my lifetime. My life was sports all through growing up. Cross-country track meets, basketball games. My dad would be there. He'd be videotaping. He would all be, always be proud of me no matter how well I did. He was always there, and he would be there tonight if I called him up and I needed him. Nothing remarkable, right, from the outside, but there's this deep connectedness that bonds my dad and I because he prioritizes presence. Many of you already know, based on, on science and, and unfortunate experiments, fortunately a long time ago, that a newborn baby literally needs to be physically held in order to grow and survive, to grow physically and emotionally. And so these experiments that were done a long time ago had tragic consequences when they, when they looked at the consequence of a baby not being held and a baby being paid attention to and physically held. Closeness. We are all biologically created, designed to be to, dependent on closeness. It's foundational. It's essential for life and especially love. This is the Christmas story. A God who came so close to us. <laughs> this is how much he cares for you. He sent what was most precious to him, his very own son, to come all the way to you. So he... This is the message you need to hear, right? And some of you, this is the only time you're going to be here, right, until Easter comes. And the, right, you're like, this is Christmas tradition. I come with my family. I'm skeptical, but this is why I'm here. So you need to understand that regardless of your life up to this point, God still looks at you and says you're worth pursuing. He sent his son knowing how the rest of your life would go and still saying you're worth it. He comes all the way to us. And so when we see a manger, we see the fullness of his presence in our lives. God's pursuing us. So again, I, whenever I, I think about and live in this moment of preparing a message for Christmas or Easter and knowing how many people are, are skeptical and like, yeah, I'm not interested in this God that you talk about. Maybe it's based on your past experience. That's legitimate. You've been hurt by somebody in the church. Or maybe you're like, hey, you're going to have to prove it to me. I don't believe in a God, right? It will allow the, all, all that happens in the world um, today. But let's all be on the same page. And really, we are on the same page, regardless of how long we've been uh, believing in God or coming to church. Let's all 
think about the kind of God that we would want to believe in. Let's start with power. For me, I, I want to believe in an almighty God. If I'm, going to place, if I'm going to believe in God and let alone place my life in God's hands, he better be almighty God. And he is a God of power. We believe in a God of power. I also want to believe in a God of provision, a God who provides. If you're talking about having a relationship with God, and he said he'll give you the desires of your heart, if I seek him and I request certain things of him, and he says he wants to give me the desires of my heart, I expect there to be results. So I want to believe that there's a God who provides for me. But even more than that, what we get to celebrate at Christmas and even on a daily basis is not just a God of power or a God of provision, but a God of ultimate presence, a God who has came to walk with us. See, at the end of the day, every single one of us wants to know that we're not alone. We want reassurance that we're not actually alone in this world. That's universal. Even people that haven't even heard of God, gone to church, we have this natural inclination to know, to want to know that we're not really alone. So 700 years before Jesus' birth, 700 years, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah, right? And the nation of Israel is in bondage. They're desperately longing for a savior, right, to redeem, to rescue them. They call him the Messiah, right, the one who will make all things new. In Isaiah, 700 years before this actually happens, the Messiah comes, he writes these words to them. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel means God with us. Sometimes you see it starting with an I, sometimes it starts with an E, because it's not written, it's not an English word. It depends on the translation of Hebrew or Greek. Emmanuel with an I or an E always means God with us. I believe that this is the best part about God, <laughs> that he cares enough that he comes all the way to us. So think about this, being in Isaiah's time, they anticipated this moment. And, and many of us, especially those of us that, that go to church regularly, we take this for granted because here we are, Christmas Eve. On the other side of the reality, he has come. That's why we can open up gifts and kids, you can open up gifts tomorrow and still not get what you want and still try to at least be happy because Jesus already came. <laughs> at least we have that. That's a pretty big deal. That's central to Christmas. So Jesus has come. And so Matthew is writing about the events right, that have finally unfolded. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, Savior, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And we live in this hope now. Now notice, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, 700 years prior. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's no more hoping, there's no more longing, it's just us, we get to show up to the reality of Christmas Day. He has come and he's come for us. So many of you might have a nativity set at home and the beauty, the simplicity of that image and what it represents, right? It might be on a little cute stand, right? You got all set up, all the, all the characters and pieces put together. 
I mean, you see that manger, that's a reality of God's pursuit, his personal pursuit. He's coming all the way to us. He showed up in our lives. There's nothing we had to figure out, plan for. He didn't set up a, an appointment where he said, meet me at this place at this time. I hope you show up. Don't miss the opportunity. No, I'm coming all the way to you. And he shows up in our life. I came across uh, some beautiful reflections and words uh, by a woman named Amina Brown. I love the way that she frames this whole uh, reality that we get to live in called Christmas. Check it out. Imagine a face-to-face meeting with an angel. Looking up as a messenger from God interrupts our expectations. God births his plans out of the most unlikely situations. Out of nothingness, he created a world with the power of his word, and he was now about to send the savior of the world in the form of a baby. Born of a virgin named Mary, engaged to Joseph, a faithful, upstanding man who'd asked for a hand and now must reconcile the news that soon she would give birth to a son whose father's face neither of them had ever seen. I mean, how would he explain pregnant fiancé before wedding day so he had in his mind to end things privately? dismiss her quietly until an angel showed up in a dream saying lots of things and Joseph wasn't sure what they'd mean but he and Mary believed put their faith and trust in a God they couldn't see and watched how his plan unfolded and came to be his name would be Jesus so they were told prophets of old had foretold the arrival of a Messiah who would bring freedom to captive souls and for a king of this caliber maybe you'd expect a crown a throne of silver and gold but Jesus showed up in humility laid in a manger with swaddling clothes. God begins with small beginnings, brings seed to virgin womb, resurrects life from closed tomb, and no, it doesn't make sense. Cannot be accomplished with the limited lens of human experience. Take human choice, plus perfect world and enter sin. The choice to please self instead of pleasing him, someone must pay the price. So God's son enters earth, embodies powerful word to make things right. See, the father had a plan to clothe himself as man, to become redemption, deliverance for the captive, healing for the sick, forgiveness for the many who never thought they'd be forgivable and it is unbelievable and nearly inconceivable that in the face of a child could shine the key to eternal life but God loves the element of surprise and in his time the Messiah had arrived see God had a story of love and hope and grace to tell he knew we needed an Emmanuel to behold in a star that the maker of all is God with us promises to never leave us, sees us as clearly as he sees time from beginning to end. Imagine the love of a father to send an only son to save his sons and daughters, looking up as God interrupts our expectations, birthing his plans out of the most unlikely situations. This is more than a story. This is our reality. This is more than something that we just show up to for a holiday season. This is the celebration of God's pursuit of us. We have a God who saves, and we celebrate that. But I think even better, we have a God who chooses to walk with. What's the greatest display of acceptance? It's his presence. He's shown up to us unconditionally, saying, I choose you. We get this practically in our everyday relationships. Think about your favorite people. Your favorite people are the ones who love you as you are. They know you, flaws and all, and they still show up to you, want to be in relationship with you. They're constantly making room for you in their life. You never feel like you're inconveniencing them, but you have that feeling that they're sincerely glad to be with you. (laughs) That's the kind of God we get to be with, to walk with. 
He's not only all-powerful, he is always present. About five weeks ago, I had a minor foot procedure, and it was on a Friday, so I went home that Friday and spent the rest of the night on the couch. Next day, Saturday, pretty much all day on the couch. So get up Sunday morning. I come over here uh, to church and uh, got up before uh, my son Levi got up. So later that Sunday, I found out from my wife, Emily, that Levi, when he walked down the steps at our house, he walked straight over to the couch, pointed to the couch and said, Dad, for the very first time. Like, that's a cool story, but I wasn't there for it. Even more of a bummer, he now associates the couch with his dad. There's where dad's been for the last day and a half, right? Lame duck dad who used to be fun to play with and he'd carry me around. Apparently just hangs out on the couch forever now, right? A whole day and a half, that's a long stretch of time for an 18-month-old, right? Now, he, technically he hasn't said dad yet. He still says day. He hasn't caught on to that second D yet, so he's getting there. But for that, time, that moment in time when he decided, right, this is where dad is supposed to be because this is where dad has been for the last day and a half. This is where dad belongs. And all of a sudden he shows up to this moment. Dad's not there. There's something wrong with this picture. I've been able to rely on the fact that dad would always be there because he was there for so long. Here's the reality. We will never have that moment with our father God. He will never abandon us. He will always be there for us. We will never have a moment in time where God has just left us. He stopped caring about us. It, it, it should blow our minds, right, if we're in tune with ourselves. That's a deep sense of humility. It's desperately believing in a God who doesn't give up on us. We can't believe it. See, Jesus in a manger is the reminder that God has come near. He's come near, and he isn't going anywhere. So some of you, the only thing you need to hear tonight, based on what you're trying to navigate in your life circumstances, is this, and this is the reality of the manger. God's saying to you, you are accepted. You're already accepted. You're already loved. You don't have to do anything to earn that. You don't have to overcome even anything in your past. You need to show up to that reality. You're loved. He says that you belong. See, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He left home to bring home to you, no matter what your earthly father was like. And many of you, you have a lot to overcome, and that brokenness, and that, those, those, those memories that you're trying to suppress. We have an, a heavenly Father that overcomes all of that and says, I've come to bring home to you. You're accepted. Your life matters. And I'm not going anywhere because I believe that you're worth pursuing. He left home to bring home to us. So here's my hope and prayer for us as we anticipate hours from now, Christmas Day, and what it all means. I pray that when it comes to God, we prioritize his presence over his provision. We choose to prioritize his presence over his provision. I mean, we're all on the same page. I mean, if you're like me, it's easy to often think, God, he's just not giving me what I want. <laughs> right? And so we, we have this constant right, disconnect between what we pray for, what we long for, what we believe that we need, and God not giving it to us. That's why oftentimes we're so discontent with life and, and God himself. He's just not giving me what I want. And in those moments, at least for me, I find myself forgetting that he's already given me the best that he has, what was most precious to him, his son, so that we could forever be in his presence. Because if I have his presence, I have all that I need already. God provided us what was most important, life to the full, now and life eternal, through the avenue of his very presence. He showed up in our lives through the form of Jesus. So he doesn't just shower us with gifts so that we can live our best lives now, arrive safely at death, you know, achieving certain status or stature, having a pile of stuff, and the rest of the world says, wow, you did it. You lived a great life. What's really a great life? No, it's a surrendered life, being able to empty ourselves of those trivial, temporary things, clinging to the presence of God, knowing that it fulfills us now and forever. Immediate, essential perspective. 
If I have the presence of God, I have all that I need. The essence of God is Emmanuel, God with us. You can send a gift in the mail or you can show up in one's life. <laughs> this is what he did because his plan wasn't transactional. I'm going to come up with a plan to save you. You know, his plan was a person. He sent himself. He's a personal God. It's more than transactional. We have a God who is always there and his presence in our lives is the best part about him. So at this moment, I want all, us all to, to internalize this, personalize this the best that we can because when God does his work through his spirit, he wants to meet us where we are. And so I want to look back at the words of Isaiah a couple chapters after he prophesied, foretold that there would be a Savior coming. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is a verse that we can read and decide what kind of God we want to cry out to. Because God is all of these things, and he wants to meet you where you are. Here it is. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. That's not redundant. A child was born into this world for the very first time, but the son already existed. He came from heaven. He came from home to bring you home. A child is born, a son is given, because, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, here it is, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So at this moment in time, wherever you are in your life, decide that you're going to cry out to this kind of God, even if you're not ready to believe in him. Like, Wonderful Counselor, maybe you're lost, right? You're misguided, and you're desperate for someone to point you in the right direction. You can call out to him, Wonderful Counselor. <laughs> and he will set your bearings in a way that you haven't been able to, to find your ground, find your foundation or direction on your own. You can cry out to him. Maybe some of you need to cry out to Mighty God. You've been working out of your own power, believing if you just try hard enough, you can control enough, that you can set your own circumstances, then finally life will settle down, and you'll be able to, to grasp what it is you're supposed to do with your life? You need to give up control. So I'm calling out to mighty God who knows a whole lot better than I do. The God of the impossible. Some of you need to cry out to an everlasting father. In this written in Hebrew context, it, it, it technically means uh, benevolent protector. Benevolent protector. And some of you need someone who you know is going to be looking out for you, over you, protecting you. A safe place. Unfortunately, some of you may be for the very first time in your life. You need to cry out to an everlasting father, your protector. And finally, some of you need to cry out to a God who's prince of peace. Your life is total chaos right now. You can't imagine ever having a sense of rest, a sense of peace. He's a God who brings peace that passes understanding. Where you show up to your circumstances, where we live in a world that bases happiness based on how well your circumstances are going, and maybe you're in the midst of unfortunate circumstances and you, you experience peace, only God can do that. We can't manufacture that. I want to close with a, a poem. It's called God With Us. It's a longer poem written by Isaac Wimberly. And I love these words that he frames a story from beginning to end. And what we get to celebrate, the true meaning of Christmas. Here's how it goes. The people had read of this rescue that was coming through the bloodline of Abraham. They had seen where Micah proclaimed about a ruler to be born in Bethlehem. Daniel prophesied about the restoration of Jerusalem. Isaiah's cry about the Son of God coming to them. So for them, it was anticipation. This groaning was growing generation after generation, knowing he was holy no matter what the situation. But they longed for him. They yearned for him. They waited for him on the edge of their seat. On the edge of where excitement and containment meet, they waited. Like a child watches out the window for their father to return from work, they waited. Like a groom stares at the double doors at the back of the church, they waited. 
And in their waiting, they had hope. Hope that was fully pledged to a God they had not seen, to a God who had promised a king, a king who would reign over the enemy, over Satan's tyranny. They waited. And so it was. Centuries of expectations with various combinations of differing schools of thought. Some people expecting a political king who would rise to the throne through the wars that he fought, while others expecting a priest who would restore peace through the Pharisees' facade. Yet a baby... A baby, 100% human, 100% God, so the word became flesh and was here to dwell among us. In his fullness, grace upon grace, Jesus. Through him and for him, all things were created, and in him, all things are sustained. God had made himself known for the glory of his name, and this child would one day rise as king. But it would not be by the sword or an insurgent regime. It would be by his life, a life that would revolutionize everything the world knew. He would endure temptation and persecution, all while staying true, humbly healing the broken, the sick, and hurting too, ministering reconciliation, turning the old to new, a life that would be the very definition of what life really costs. Saying, if you desire life, then your current one must be lost. And he would portray that with his own life as his father would pour out and exhaust him. And Jesus would be obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. So just 33 years after the day that he laid swaddled in the hay, he hung on a tree, suffocating, dying in our place. Absorbing wrath that is rightly ours, but we, would never, we could never bear the weight. So he took that punishment and he put it in the grave and he died. And when I say that he died, what I mean is that he died. No breath, no heartbeat, no sign of life. God is a God of justice and the penalty for our sin equals death. That's what Christ did on the cross. Then, on the third day, in accordance with scriptures, he was raised from the grave. And when I say that he was raised, what I mean is that he was raised. Lungs breathing, heart pumping, blood pulsing through his veins. The things that he promised were true. He is the risen son of God offering life to me and you. Turning our mourning into dancing, our weeping into laughing, our sadness into joy. By his mercy, we are called his own. By his grace, we will never be left alone. By his love, he is preparing our home. By his blood, we can sing before his throne. Jesus paid it all. All to him, I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So now we, as his bride, are the ones waiting. Like the saints that came before, we are anticipating. He has shown us that this world is fading, and he has caused our desire to be for him. So church, stay ready. Keep your heart focused and your eyes steady. Worship him freely, never forgetting his great love for you, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the great promise. This is what we wake up to tomorrow. (laughs) He has come. We get to find joy, hope, and rest. He has us in his hands. So at both campuses, we're going to go into a time of communion where trays are going to be passed. And we encourage you, if you believe in this Christ, that you'll take a piece of bread, hold it in your hands, a cup of juice, and just reflect on this moment, what what you're holding represents. The bread, his broken body on a cross. The juice, his blood that was poured out for us. And we humbly receive this moment knowing we can't do anything to save ourselves. He's come all the way, done all the work for us. We encourage you to reflect and take that in your own time. Several chapters later in Isaiah, chapter 53, he describes this moment we're about to enter into, the significance of what we're going to remember. Verses 5 and 6, he, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be 
healed. All of us, don't miss this, all of us, we all sit at the same distance from God. We all desperately need his grace. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. How can we not be grateful? (laughs) That's why it's a Merry Christmas. We have a God who shows up to us. And here we are, open invitation. May we choose him. May we realize that we have a Savior who saves us but also walks with us. He's not going anywhere. Father, in these moments that I pray are peace-filled, hope-filled, rest-filled. I pray that we find you. So many people here in Burlington and Union that are desperately seeking, longing, wanting to know that you are actually there. I pray that you'll reveal yourself. I don't know how you'll do that, but I pray it's more than a feeling. I pray that it's more than emotion. I pray that it's a conviction deep within there is more than what we see. God, we thank you for never giving up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.